Time once again for the Talking Tide podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. I'm joined by Travis Ryer, the radio host of Southern Fried Sports, which you can catch at 100.9 FM in Tuscaloosa weekdays, 11 to noon, and also the longtime senior analyst at BamaOnline.com. The Talking Tide podcast available on our web host at Podbean.com. Also various apps uh, namely iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Catch the Twitter feed at Talking underscore Tide. We'll link our podcast twice weekly throughout the football season there right away. And Travis, uh, LSU 46-41, the final score in the big clash in Tuscaloosa Saturday night. A wild game, tons of points, tons of yards. And uh, the Tigers come out on top. A lot to unpack, I guess, about this game. Some big swings, uh, a big hole late for Alabama. They closed the gap in the second half, but could not close it well enough. They could not. Uh, Just too big of a hole. Too many uncharacteristic mistakes from Alabama, especially in this series. I wrote about it after the game at BamaOnline.com, Chase. Typically... When you own an eight-game winning streak over an opponent, it, it, it often speaks to the poise in which you display uh, and the confidence in which you play with uh, once you get to that point of dominance. I thought LSU was the more poised team from the outset on Saturday. Now, you understand the turnover by Tua Tagovailoa to sort of cap that first possession inside the LSU 10 in fairness to Tua, with the situation he's been dealing with, Chase, with that ankle, simulated scrambles, plays, and runs, and things like that, I can promise you are things that Tua hadn't spent a lot of time on since undergoing that tightrope procedure. So those are the type of things that can crop up, things that, in your mind anyway, you instinctively and reactively sort of respond to the situation and and and, and try to carry out. But, uh, you know, you just haven't done it in a couple, three weeks. And, and it can it can show up in situations like that. But it was a nightmarish start, really, for Alabama between the fumble from Tua, between the muff punt snap. Um, you had a takeaway that was taken away on the uh, Trayvon Diggs interception because you, you had too many guys on the field. You had mass confusion there in a situation nine games in the season. That, that still should not – that should not be happening. Um, but yeah, I give Alabama credit, right? Came back the third quarter, the run game, Najee Harris becomes a big part of the storyline Tua keeps, you know, taking shots and hits on a couple of them, but uh, you just got to give a lot of credit to, uh, LSU, the, the better team over the course of four quarters, Alabama tried to steal it there in the second half, but, uh, seldom are you going to be able to do that even at home against a team, the caliber of LSU. Uh, 33-13 to 13 the score at the half. UA actually holds LSU to no points in the third quarter, uh, but they needed to hold them longer than that. UA, Alabama outscores LSU 28-13 in the second half, but that fourth quarter, they just couldn't get a stop when they had to get a stop. And, and I'll – I, I thought Alabama looked worse defensively than any game I can remember. And I tried to think of some of the games where Alabama's really been rung up uh, by another team's offense in the Saban era. Uh, and and I, I look at Clemson last year, obviously, in the title game would be one. Uh, the, the Trevor Knight Sugar Bowl, 
would be another. Yeah. Uh, the the night that Zeke Elliott hung 230 in a semifinal on Alabama would be one. You've got the kick six game where Nick Marshall threw for over 400 yards and just went bananas uh, on Alabama. I don't think I, I I think I think Saturday night Alabama's defense looked worse than it, than any of those games. I, I've never seen so many receivers pass catchers not just receivers but pass catchers running wide open in the alabama secondary play after play not just for a drive here and there but all night long uh they just they could not cover jamar chase and they really struggle with clyde edwards alaire out of the backfield as a receiver as well he goes nine for 77 receiving and did a lot of damage in those 77 yards travis in our preview podcast i think you asked me if uh if 150 yards total for edwards alaire would be too much and i i told you that it would he ends up with 180 total yeah, well, and, and the backs, I wrote about this before the game. I thought the backs for both teams had a chance to really at least co-star. As much as we were going to talk about the quarterbacks and these great receivers, and believe me, the passing game for both teams showed up, right? I mean, we're talking about over 800 passing yards between Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa. But I thought the backs were, were just as critical or as important. Um, Edward Salar. I talked about this before the game. He had 33 touches against Auburn on the offensive side of the ball. If you were Alabama, you needed to try to keep those touch to- that touch total for Edwards Hillard to a reasonable number. Chase between receptions uh, and carries, he had 29 touches. That, that that that's too many. You know, if 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 LSU's getting that type of production out of the running back position to go along with what Joe Burrow's getting from his wide receivers and a really productive tight end and Thaddeus Moss, it's going to be tough. And so when we look at this with the Alabama defense, what are the reasons for it? Um, middle of the field just seemed like it was wide open all night. And and here's the thing too, here's, you know, and we've talked about this in the past too, you know, when your top three tacklers, are all defensive backs, Chase? What does that typically mean? That means you're catching, right? Yeah. More than you're throwing in terms of punches. You had Xavier McKinney with 13 tackles. Your other safety, Jared Maiden, had 11. And Trayvon Diggs had 10. So your top three tacklers were your two starting safeties and a corner who between them were talking about, what, 34 total tackles? For those three guys, so yeah, it was a situation where for most of the night you were on your heels, and that's before you factor in the quarterback runs with Joe Burrow. I mean, you've seen enough tape eight games into the season, right? When LSU goes empty in third and five or so, what do you think's coming, Chase? You think Joe Burrow's coming maybe on the quarterback draw? In those situations? He ended up with 90, you know, and, and I don't even count. I know the NCAA yeah. official stats, they, they negate rushing yards with sack yardage. Look, Alabama got five sacks, but Burrow had 96 yards gained as a rusher. Uh, 64 net. Uh, did a lot of damage tucking the football. There's no doubt. Straight up the middle, most of it. I and, think I think that might have been the biggest difference in the game. It wasn't just that Edwards Hilar was so effective, Chase. He had a quarterback, a mobile quarterback, who was capable of making plays with his legs. And uh, Alabama, obviously, with Tua, you know, didn't have that sort of facet. Not that Tua is Michael Vick-like, but we know that a big part of his game, right, 
because of his legs is that he can sort of improv and get himself into situations where he can make plays. And you know, Burrow, I thought from that perspective, as great as he was throwing the football, that may have been more the the tipping factor than anything else. Chase could have been a Heisman clincher Saturday night in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I think I think it absolutely was. Yeah, I mean, unless he gets hurt, um, you know, unless he just totally shats the bed here down the stretch, and with what LSU has left, that's hard to imagine. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think Vegas on Sunday night readjusted the odds he's now a one to ten favorite to win the Heisman Trophy so I think he's safe as kittens at this point right looking good for that honor no doubt about it uh the the LSU corners wanted to talk about them a little bit now now Tua Tungvaloa throws for over 400 yards uh Devontae Smith ends up with a monster night 200 plus yards receiving if you just look at the box score you'd think LSU corners got lit up pretty good and, and at times uh, Tua to definitely hurt him, but I'll say this: LSU defended the slant better than any team I've any defense I've seen, uh, at least since Alabama's been getting tons of mileage out of that slant the last couple of years, running you know RPOs and whatnot with with Tua and these receivers. Uh, that's been free free money for Alabama for a lot of games, and LSU I thought did a great job taking it away. Devontae Smith for the for the great game he had, Travis did most of his damage outside the numbers. Uh, and, and you mentioned L- Alabama didn't really cover the middle of the field well. Between the numbers, LSU secondary was significantly better than Alabama's. Well, and that that's why Alabama had to go up top on the outside because. If you're going to dare me with a true freshman corner, as talented as Derek Stingley Jr. is, if you're going to just man up Devontae Smith with a true freshman corner all night, I got to take shots because you're right. Watching LSU in the middle of the field, that sort of backside safety that oftentimes in games against Alabama gets caught out of position in terms of the proper angle and after the catch gets left in the dust LSU was pretty much keying the slants with those, and they were running safeties at the slants. They weren't waiting on the slants to get completed and then trying to make tackles. They were running Delpit. They were running Jacoby Stevens, trying to blow those things up before they could get going, and they were pretty successful with it. But there's still a price to be paid, as we talked about early in the season. If you want to take away the slant, that's fine. You better be really good in man coverage down the field. And Derek Stingley, uh, he got an official welcome to Power 5 football because most of Devontae Smith's 213 yards came against Derek Stingley Jr., including the two long touchdown passes. So, yeah, you know, all in all, if you're LSU, you had to do that and you had to have trust and faith in your corners to be able to man up on the outside. Um but Alabama got the opportunities it wanted down the field, hit a couple of them, missed just barely on another one or two. Jerry Judy had a great opportunity there uh, in the third quarter on a deep ball, working from the slide against Kerry Vincent Jr. Uh, wasn't able to come up with it. But um, no, the slant was not going to beat LSU. There's no doubt about it. Jalen Waddle, the big punt return in the first half, I think that made it 10-7. to how much, of, how much did you think that that punt return did – to wash out the rough start for Alabama. Obviously, it didn't tie the score. I think Alabama was already down 10 nothing at that point. But 
Uh, in your in your eyes, did that punt return kind of wash out the two of fumble or no? Uh, I think it washed out a couple of things. It washed out the two of fumble. It washed out the the punt uh, punt muff by Ty P Ryan. Uh, again, the everything that could go wrong for Alabama to start the game sort of did, and it's ten nothing. Um, you know, and, and I do give the, the defense credit, even after the P Ryan muff, they forced a field goal there. I know we're going to beat up on the defense pretty good, but you know, that was pretty, pretty critical given that, you know, LSU had the field position. It did after that snafu there with the punt team. Uh, but without a doubt, it was, it was reminiscent in some ways to the 2007 game, uh, when Javier Arenas housed that punt return against the Tigers and Nick Saban's first year and kind of how it sent a charge and a, a surge of electricity through Bryant Denny stadium. And it, and it put Alabama back in the game, no doubt about it, because, um, you know, at that point, even though it was just a 10, nothing game. Uh, you, you had your you had your questions. You know, is it, it was an early storm that Alabama is not used to encountering on its own home field. Maybe what Texas A and M in 2012 got off to that kind of start chase here in Tuscaloosa. Um, and, and no, so for a number of reasons, uh, it was big. And by the way, Jalen Waddle now averaging right around 26 yards per punt return chase. Crazy. He, yeah. he he is he is phenomenal. Uh, heard an uh, heard an NFL scout compare him to a former Kansas City Chief Dante Hall as yeah. a, as a return guy, and it, it really I, I thought that was pretty apt, pretty good comp right there. Uh, Waddle as a, as a return guy is is extremely explosive. I, I'm not gonna I, I'm not gonna put him in the Arenas class just yet, especially because Arenas did so well for so long. Uh, almost ended up breaking the NCAA punt returns record, if I recall correctly. Missed it by about 10 or 20 yards right at the end of his career. Uh, but just in terms of a guy who can uh, who can flip the field in a blink, yeah, Waddles is Waddles as good as anybody. Uh, Xavier McKinney kind of lost in a really rough performance by the Alabama defense and especially the Alabama secondary. I thought he did some good things. Uh, you mentioned he had a bunch of tackles, 13, as opposed to Diggs, who was making a lot of his tackles past the sticks. Uh, McKinney was made some big plays up in the box, uh, supporting things. Yeah, if, if there's one guy on that defense that you can count on to make a tackle in a one-on-one situation, it is Xavier McKinney. And even Xavier whiffed a couple times. That's how good... Clyde Edwards-Hilar was, though. If you remember the one-touchdown run, uh, McKinney was right there, uh, basically simultaneous with the handoff from Joe Burrow, and Edwards-Hilar puts Xavier in the uh, spin cycle a little bit there. But, you know, all in all, when you look at the performance, Xavier McKinney ties a career high with the 13 tackles. His first two sacks of the season uh, in the game, also on one of those sacks, he forces the fumble there early in the third quarter from Joe Burrow that Terrell Lewis recovers. So it was a typical Xavier McKinney performance for the most part. When you look at all the boxes and what Alabama refers to as production points, right, on defense, when those players of the week come out on Monday, you expect Xavier McKinney to be one of those guys. 
Najee Harris, extremely effective. We touched on him a little bit. 19 for 146 on the ground. Uh, ripped off, I think, a 31-yarder early in the game on Alabama's first drive. Uh, but it went quiet for a while, and Alabama didn't lean on him for a while. I think at one point you noted on Twitter mid-game, Travis, that, that he was a little short on carries for his effectiveness. Uh, went the entire second quarter without a touch. Now, you, you, you tell me how that sort of coincided with how things went for Alabama as a football team in the second quarter, Chase. He had four carries for 38 yards, including a 31-yarder to get it going there in the first quarter. And LSU did a pretty good job against the run, but it felt like when Alabama got down, that along with the combination of not having Miller Forrestall available as its top tight end, Alabama went with more maybe some some four wide receivers, even some five wide receivers uh, on occasion there in the first half. Second half, it's like Alabama came out and said, look, we're going to go with tighter formations. We're going to put Chris Owens in the game some. Everybody in the stadium knows he's really an offensive lineman. We're not going to throw him the football, but we're actually going to go ahead and go with maybe some tighter formations and try to just get Najee Harris going. That and with the way with the way LSU was getting after Tua in the pass rush, knowing that he was immobile and a stable and a and a you know a, a, a target there in the pocket because he couldn't really move. You know, you were wondering, uh, Sark, you going to mix in some screen game here? Because we didn't see that in the first half either. Well, we did see some of that in the third quarter. Najee hits it for a, a nice chunk play there. Um, and just sort of getting him more involved. You know, he ends up with 146 rushing yards, Chase. 100, 108 of those come in the second half. Um, the touchdown catch out of the backfield there. Uh, in the third quarter, yeah, you 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 do more of this than than I do in terms of projecting guys to the next level. I mean, that's a hell of a tape, Najee Harris put together for the boys in attendance Saturday night from the National Football League. Yeah, probably a little uh, deceiving if you look at the sack totals in the game. I'll say this: I, I think Alabama ended up getting Burrow five times. I think two two went down once, but he still he had he had heat in his yeah. face. On a, yeah, on, a, on a pretty regular basis. What about Alabama's pass rush? They do get to Joe Burrow five times, and yet he couldn't have been more effective. I think I think at the end of the day, you just tip your got to tip your cap to Burrow on that. And, and there were look, there were times where Burrow had way too much time as well. It's not like they got in Burrow's face every single play. Right. But five sacks is is a lot. It is, and you know. Here's the thing. I I think as much as anything, you look at five sacks, you look at seven quarterback hurries in the game. You know, Terrell Lewis had three more quarterback hurries, um, had an opportunity for a sack or two. Alabama could have had seven or eight sacks. A couple occasions, it just couldn't finish. Burrow's a bigger guy than I think people give him credit for realize, uh, and he also is a competitor. You know, he doesn't like to go down, so he's going to battle you in those situations on one on ones. Um, but I think you touched on it earlier with with some of the bus, some of the issues and coverage. Um, there were times where you know routes and 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 guys opened up so quickly you didn't you couldn't get to Burrow and yeah. things were already open and 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 he doesn't miss he doesn't he doesn't uh, over he, he doesn't overlook guys when they're open he finds them and I think he's kind of like Tua in he can look at you pre-snap and get a good understanding or an idea of where the ball's going to go. And Alabama, 
you know, maybe to a fault at times pre-snap uh, it, it reveals a little bit. And, and part of that, too, is when you're as inexperienced as Alabama's been on defense this year and you're as situational as Alabama has become out of necessity this year because of the injuries, especially at inside linebacker, uh, you, you become a little bit of an easier book to read just by the cover sometimes. Terrell Lewis, uh, your thoughts? I thought I thought he was really effective for much of the game, uh, and as as it turns out, it was it was you know, the sacks came from elsewhere. But he got into the backfield some, uh, gave Burrow some problems here and there. But you're right, he's a he's a strong guy, and uh, he he shook a couple of sacks, and and it and it did make a big difference. And and, and yeah, the receivers were open too quickly for the rush to get there at times, and and that's. That's uh, that's a recipe for giving up 400 passing yards. Here's the problem, too. When you're deficient in some areas, some critical areas, especially in the middle of the field, Chase, some of your other guys start trying to compensate for that by trying to do too much, right? You know, sometimes instead of, as we've heard Nick Saban talk about so many times, just winning your box – you try to win your box and win it for another guy or two uh, because you just don't have the faith or confidence in the guys around you. And, look, I, you know, I know the Alabama coaching staff, Pete Golding, some of those defensive staff guys are going to catch some heat, and that's part of it. You know, that's part of the gig at Alabama. You're judged on games like Saturday night. So uh, some of that may be justified. Some of it won't be. Uh, but if we're being realistic about it, and you, you talked about this being one of the worst defensive performances of the Saban era, or at least since this dynasty sort of run has started uh, 10 or 12 years ago. Uh, I mean, look, we without naming names, Chase, you can look in the des- defensive backfield. You can look at linebacker. You can look at you know some of the guys that are rotating in early on that defensive line. Guys that in the previous seven, eight, ten years never would have gotten on the field and unless it was more of a, 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 a goal line situation or special teams or something like that. Right. Alabama is depending on some of those guys to play 40, 50-plus snaps per game against a team like LSU, Chase. Yeah. I mean, that that's the reality of it as much as anything right now. Yeah, Alabama has had dude upon dude upon dude over the last 10 or 12 years on defense for a number of well-documented reasons. That's not the case right now. You know, that's just not. No, they've had, uh, obviously the injuries we've touched on those at inside linebacker, kind of a devastating impact for sure. Uh, and, and up front. Yeah. They, they don't have the, they don't have the same horses, uh, that Nick Saban's typically been able to get in there. And it's, and it's definitely made a, a big difference and look in this in the in the RPO era RPOs changed the game so much uh, that puts more pressure on a secondary than even a than even a talented secondary a quality secondary can handle there was a, yeah. the, the days where giving up 250 yards as a good defense are gone now if you're giving up 350 you're fine uh, at least if you've got the kind of offense that that you know we're talking about played in this game uh, but yeah. it, it's uh you know, and I, and I don't want to throw some of these some of these guys that are kind of being forced into action under the bus for Saturday night because look, 
there were a couple of guys on defense that have been talked about in sort of first round terms that Alabama really needed to play to that level for four quarters in that game. And they came up well short. So this isn't just to, you know, say, ah, well, you know, some of these guys just aren't good. There, there were guys on the field Saturday night that, that have been talked about again as, you know, future NFL starters that didn't give off that sort of look either. So it, 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 it was a, it was, it was at every level of the defense and it was highly regarded guys. And it was guys that were expected to be more along the lines of depth providers going into the season. Thought it was maybe a rougher night for Diggs than maybe anyone. And he's a guy that's yeah. made a lot of money this season. I, I think he's, I think he's done a lot for his NFL draft status this year, but last Saturday night, he didn't help himself. He gave some money back on he Saturday did. night. And, and understanding Jamar chase is going to be a high round draft pick. Um, so there's no shame in that. And you got a guy delivering the football. That's going to be a first round draft pick next spring in Joe Burrow, but no, it, it, and, and look, Diggs lost an interception on that, you know, uh, illegal participation penalty there in the first quarter. So the, the one real highlight he had in the game, uh, you know, Alabama loses it because they, 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 they can't get the right guys on the field and, and, and they can't get lined up. So, you know, it's going to happen, man. That's why as much as anything, I'll be, I'll be interested to see how, you know, the veterans on this team respond to all of this, especially on the defensive side of the ball, uh, because there's still a lot to play for. There's, you know, the potential still there for a college football playoff appearance for a six straight season, but none of that's going to happen if Alabama doesn't sort of run the table here in the next three weeks, four weeks. Speaking of which, we'll touch on the CFP really quickly before we move on on Talking Tide. Travis, your thoughts on uh, where things stand in the CFP, I guess where Alabama stands now. Uh, they're in a bad position, no question about it, sitting in a, a spot where – uh, it certainly looks like they're going to be at home watching the SEC title game on the couch. That's never a good spot to be in. Uh, but we've we've seen Alabama kind of backdoor this thing in the past. Well, the last time they won a national championship, right? Yeah. Didn't win an SEC championship. So, you know, the thing I get a kick out of is that it's November the 10th and your social media timeline is just full of definitive statements about Alabama or other candidates for it's, it's November the 10th, you know, I mean, think about the games we still have out there. I mean, you saw what happened to Penn state at at Minnesota, uh, on Saturday. Um, you know, here's the, here's the worst case scenario for Alabama right now. The worst case scenario for Alabama is within its own league. The worst case scenario for Alabama and the CFP involves Georgia running the table through Atlanta, beating an undefeated LSU in that game. And the SEC would be fine in that sort of scenario, I think, because then Georgia goes as the one loss SEC champ. And I think LSU still goes as the one loss runner up. But that takes Alabama out of the equation. If you're Alabama right now, you kind of got to suck it up. If you're an Alabama fan, you got to suck it up. You got to pull for LSU the rest of the way. Um, if we're being realistic, I guess if you're not realistic, you say, well, you never know. They could drop a couple here coming up. No, 
no, Bubba, that ain't happening. So go ahead and pull for LSU to win out through the SEC championship game. And, and, and Auburn, and I know this one hurts too. I know this one hurts too. You want Auburn to beat Georgia. You want Auburn to be a top seven, eight team in the CFP rankings when Alabama goes to the Plains at the end of the month, because then that gives Alabama the opportunity for that win that so many of the national pundits keep harping on that the Crimson Tide doesn't have. That gives you an opportunity for that type of win, um, you know, and and it bolsters your chances as much as anything else here down the stretch. As you noted, it's early to be making hardline assumptions about what's going to happen, who's in, who's out, who's going to run the table and so forth. So yeah, uh, upsets are coming. Upsets always come in November. That's, that's, that's college football. I look at this thing though. And, and I say, it's, it, it's real hard to see where a loss for LSU, Clemson or Ohio state. No, they're would, in, would be they're all from. in. So if, they're all if, in. Yeah. If LSU, yeah. Clemson and Ohio state, yeah. finish it out without a loss. So now basically the way I break it down in, in my brain, uh, that leaves that obviously leaves one spot for a bunch of squads. And, and that one spot is, is, is well, the let, let's say Alabama hopes to be in. Let's say Oregon wins out in the pac 12 wins out beats Utah in the, uh, in the pac 12 championship game. You're going to send Oregon as a one loss conference champ that lost to Auburn. To the uh, to the college football playoffs, no. just because it's a conference champ. I think Oklahoma could end up being the biggest threat to Alabama OU when it's all said and done. OU goes to Baylor, which we don't talk about. Baylor, Baylor's the only undefeated team in the Big Twelve. So you know that's where the Big Twelve could still get very interesting from that perspective because if Oklahoma goes to Baylor and loses, well, Baylor's still undefeated. Baylor with the potential to be a, uh, a, a undefeated co- conference champ in that scenario. I don't know how you leave Baylor out of this thing, uh, but OU still has to go to um, to Oklahoma State. What's interesting about Baylor, though, is that in that first college football playoff rankings, Chase, Baylor undefeated was behind not one, but two two-loss SEC teams. Baylor was behind Florida and Auburn. Mm. So that's where it'll be interesting Tuesday night, too, to see what the committee does with Baylor. Does Baylor stay there? You know, but 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 even if Baylor does, opportunity awaits with Oklahoma and, and some other games here down the stretch. The committee's been a bit historically dismissive of the Big 12 and the Pac-12, haven't yeah, they? They have, and that's where... If you're Alabama, you still feel pretty good about things. Um, you want what you want as much as anything is you want some chaos in the Big 12 here in the next three weeks or so. You know, you, you'd be fine with Oklahoma losing at Baylor and then Baylor losing to somebody else, and you know, you you want a one-loss conference champ um, that's not named Oklahoma, preferably in the Big 12, right? I, that's what I would think. If OU sitting there with one loss is the, the Big 12 conference champ, if you're Alabama, you, you could have a problem there. But, you know, when you look, where's Oklahoma's big win right now? Right now. And and how big a win is Baylor really going to be? Um, and if you beat Baylor twice, is it yeah. – what does that add up to? If you see them again in the conference championship game? Um, 
So they're, they're, look, if you're an Alabama fan, you don't go ahead and make reservations for either Atlanta or Glendale. I, I wouldn't recommend that, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just uh, totally dismiss or discount the the real possibility of of pulling a 2017 again. The Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in the Twitter feed, Talking underscore Tide. We're going to thank a couple of sponsors quickly, starting with Session Cocktails and Spirits, 2221 University Boulevard, Tuscaloosa's newest cocktail bar, Hunter Wiggins, and the most talented bartenders in town, Sarah, Elijah, no matter who you run into, into down there over at Session, they will mix it up right. They've got a deep and tasty menu. Menu of signature cocktails, also a super wine and beer selection as well down at Sessions. I was just down. I'm telling you, this peanut, this this five dollar peanut butter whiskey shooter is a winner. I had another one uh, after the LSU game, as a matter of fact, Travis. Does it and, come uh, with the Does it come with the crust cut off? That peanut <laughs> yeah. butter and jelly shooter? Or? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just peanut yeah. butter. Just peanut yeah. butter. Uh, no but, jelly. Yeah, yeah, no jelly. But it's a hit. It, it's it's a winner all the way uh, for sure. Uh, had you know they've got an old fashioned down there that's outstanding. Uh, they do a mint julep. They do a they do all sorts of cocktails down there over at Session Twenty Two Twenty One. University Boulevard. Also want to thank North River Dental Associates and Dr. Jack Smalley over there at 1100 Fairfax Park right off of McFarland Boulevard. It's where you need to go for all of your dental needs, whether it's teeth whitening services, porcelain veneers, endodontics, dental implants, oral surgery, cosmetic dentistry, pediatric dentistry, laser dentistry. They do it all and they'll get you in and out of there on a routine cleaning, typically in less than an hour. It's North River Dental Associates and uh, Dr. Jack Smalley. Uh, the phone number again, 752-3506. And uh, they do a super job down there. Check them out at North River Dental. I'm going to tell you about a couple of our uh, good friends in downtown Tuscaloosa. Uh, the first being Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa there at Government Square. So many great reasons to eat your next pizza at Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa. First, the pizza is out of this world. We talked about it many times. You can't go wrong with any of the specialty pies. But look, if you just want a good old-fashioned, knock-em-dead cheese pizza, Monday nights are a great night to do that. I got the uh, cheese pizza, the pepperoni pizzas on sale. On Monday nights, you got the half-price bottles of wine available to you. Tuesday nights, you can get that Thai chicken pizza. For just seven bucks. That's, uh, as you know, that's a big favorite of mine as well. Great salads, great appetizers. They got a full bar there for you. Craft brews, uh, craft cocktails, great television setup, 60 inch televisions throughout the establishment. And each and every time you go into Heat Pizza Bar, those televisions are programmed exactly on the programs and channels they need to be set for. Uh, it's Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa. At Government Plaza. Also going to tell you about Brick and Spoon, downtown Tuscaloosa, at Timerson Square. Man, I got to get in there and get some of those shrimp and grits. I've been craving those suckers for about a week now. Now, I've been in there recently. Uh, it's just that I had the outstanding breakfast tacos the last time I was at Brick and Spoon. Whether it's breakfast, whether it's brunch, whether it's lunch, whether it's the Bloody Marys, the Great Mimosas, they're going to take great care of you there at Brick and Spoon, downtown Tuscaloosa. 
at Timerson Square. Great catering options available to you as well. You can have that next business breakfast or that business lunch, brunch. They can do that for you too. Brick and Spoon, downtown Tuscaloosa at Timerson Square. Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We're rolling on here uh, for a few more minutes. Travis, we typically look at SEC versus SEC games uh, toward the back end of the podcast, the Sunday nighter. But tonight, uh, the games that stand out around the league were non-conference games, namely uh, Western Kentucky trouncing Arkansas, resulting in the <laughs> firing of Chad Morris. Yeah. Uh, that news, of course, broke Sunday. And also App State knocking off South Carolina 20-15. to 15. South Carolina has had a come apart since beating Georgia. Uh, they're now 4-6. and six And uh, I guess we'll get to Chad Morris in a minute. But, but first, your, your thoughts on what's going on over in Columbia. Yeah, I think you hit on it. Uh, had some opportunities after that big win over Georgia. Maybe go to Tennessee and get a win. Did not happen. Um, the Florida game at home looked like going into the fourth quarter. South Carolina uh, might pull another divisional upset in that one. Uh, they get rolled by the Gators on their home field there at williams Bryce Stadium in the fourth quarter. And I had kind of circled that Appalachian State game for a while. I think Appalachian State had had it circled too. That's why the Mountaineers lost at home the previous Thursday to Georgia Southern. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the bowl game opportunities have pretty much uh, come and gone out the windows in, in terms of the wins that, that Will Muschamp needed here down the stretch because – you know, you're four and six, right? No, yep. right now. Yep. Well, you, you know who you close with, and that's Clemson. And, and so there's that seventh loss for you. Um, and, and it's interesting. You know, Chad Morris got a $10 million buyout to go away quietly from Arkansas. Uh, Will Muschamp's buyout, I believe, is somewhere in excess of $20 million right now. If, <laughs> if South Carolina wants to make a move on him. So, you know. It's uh, it's officially Jimmy Sexton season. It seems like it gets an earlier start each and every year. But once the buyouts start flowing, that's when, you know, Gemma uh, is, is getting ready for the holidays. It's hard to pack that barrel with $20 million worth of powder, oh. isn't it? You might have to sell a cockaboose or two, <laughs> you know. Might have to sell a cockaboose. <laughs> uh, the whole train, you know. Not just the cockaboose, the whole uh, damn train's got to, uh, you know. Rent the track yeah. out. Yeah. Rough, uh, rough one for South Carolina. Chad Morris out after less than two seasons. Now he's he's Owen. He hadn't he hadn't won an SEC game. Travis, he's Owen fourteen in the SEC. Uh, gets run. I went back and looked at it. Brett Bielema was two and fourteen in the SEC yeah. in his first two seasons. He got three more years after that. Uh, the patience, obviously, running a lot thinner with Chad Morris. And look, I get it that. Yeah, there have been some embarrassing non-conference performances uh, for Arkansas this year, last year. Bielema had a couple of those himself, though. Yeah. Well, it's Paul Johnson time in Fayetteville. I mean, seriously. You know, I mean, you've tried tried to be Wisconsin, right, in the SEC with with Bielema. And even Bielema there about midstream ended up going to more of a wide open passing attack with the Allen brothers. That didn't really help either with Chad Morris. You thought you were going to bring some Clemson in a little more of a, a, a spread, 
uh, power spread approach, spread people out. How's that work for you, Arkansas? I mean, it's just such a tough place, even with Texas nearby. But, you know, Texas is nearby, but you're not in the Big 12. You know, they're kind of Switzerland out there in Arkansas. They're, they're in a conference, but they're, they're, they don't really fit in terms of the recruiting uh, footprint and things like that. Just go get Paul Johnson and get you some of that triple option, Pappy. Just go ahead and do it. It's time. Championship, American, intercollegiate, varsity, tackle football coach, Paul Johnson in 2020. That's what needs to happen. That'd be fun. That'd be a lot of fun. Oh, no you'd be different. Yeah. You'd be different, right? You, you'd you know? be, you'd, you, no one would like to face you. No one would want to face yeah. you. Be just, Ask Nick you know. Saban. Ask Nick Saban if he'd like to see that Paul Johnson triple <laughs> no, option. No. In, instead of seeing Chad Morris or Brett Bielema try to run the same offense that Alabama runs with two stars or yeah. three stars. You know, Nick will take that. He'll take the latter every time. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say this. And I realize patience for coaches is, is is never been thinner, but less than two years is such a window, such a tight window to judge a guy. Travis, usually, look, you and I know now when it, when a coach gets hired in December, that first signing class is always considered kind of a free pass for that coach because he's pretty much got to sign the last coach's recruits. So, when you look at it that way, Chad Morris has got one signing class on this roster. Well, and, and, true and freshman. It, it's not, it's not the going winless in the sec for two straight seasons. It's the losses to San Jose state yeah. at all. And then not even being competitive with Western Kentucky at the end of year two. I mean, I'm with you. You know, I, I, I think we are going to get to a tipping point where it'll start to go back the other way because some of these places are going to realize that, you know, it, it, it's, it's not working the other way either going the, the, the quick route, it, it necessarily working either. And so, and also the buyouts are going to stack up to a point where they're going to have three or four coaches, you know, getting paid Making money yeah. and, 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 and you know, and then you got to buy out the new coach to come, um, and things like that. You don't have to buy out Paul Johnson right now, by the way, he's retired. Um, so you, you know, it's, it's, it's fiscally, it's not going to make enough sense and just common sense wise, you know, you're, you're not gonna, uh, be able to make enough. It's, you know, it's already hard enough. It's hard enough to get a, a top tier coach to Arkansas, but when you start firing coaches in their second year. Does that that doesn't make it any easier, does it, to get a, a a coach that that you you would like to attract to your program to come? Now here comes another washout class right after yeah. the next one. And, and yeah. look, that that doesn't necessarily mean Morris was going to light the recruiting trail on fire in two in twenty twenty no. either. But yeah, the, the but you you hired him you hired him in large part right because he had ties to Texas or yeah. you know and. And so, and that's what that, you got to crack if you're Arkansas. You yeah. got to crack Texas recruiting wise, or you can forget it. And, and that's that been, was going to take time. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that that's been like a that's been like a walnut for Arkansas, and and they're trying to get into it with a butter knife. It's but just if been, you want to win an SEC game next year, bring in Paul Johnson because he'll get somebody. <laughs> he'll get somebody next year. He'll get a couple of them next year. Yeah. 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 Well, and yeah. he he could get a couple Texas guys no one else wants to do what he well, needs them to do. He can. I, well, here's what he can do: 
if there is a hellacious triple option quarterback in the state of Texas, he can go get that guy. Mm -hmm. Chad Morris isn't going to go to Texas in Texas and get the best pro style or dual threat quarterback in the state of Texas. So, uh, you know, I, I have some fun with Paul Johnson, but I'm serious in the case of Arkansas. I mean, why not at this point? Why not just go that route, you know? It's going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. Be sure to join us Wednesday night when we preview Alabama's forthcoming game on the road in Starkville against Mississippi State. That'll be an 11 a.m. Central Time kickoff, and we will break it down for you Wednesday evening right here on Talking Tide. For Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports Radio, I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover. We'll talk to you then right here on Talking Tide.